0: From St. Paul's epistle to the Romans, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Good morning, boys and girls. Is it just me, or does it kind of feel like our culture and our nation are, I don't know, kind of falling apart? Is it just me? You know, it's, here we have, we've got riots in Portland, we've got police being locked into buildings, and the building being set on fire in Wisconsin with the intention of killing said policeman locked in building. Thankfully, they were able to get out. I mean, it's not good. It's not good. And to make things even worse, no Penn State football to at least Thanksgiving. Scotty, man, beam me up, baby. I mean, it's, is it just me? Or does it feel like things are just falling apart? Well, I think we can all agree, uh, no matter where you are on the political spectrum or any of that stuff, I don't care about that stuff. I think we can agree, though, that 2020 has been at least, at the, at the very least, a uh, challenging year. And here's the question that I want to dial in on today for you and for me. I've been wrestling with this. I've never preached this text before. Um, how do we as Christians, what are we supposed to do? in the face of evil. Did he say evil? Yes, he did. What are we as Christians supposed to do in the face of evil? Well, the reason I bring that up is last week, if you were here, we took a a gentle stroll through Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, where Paul lays out something really profound, and if you weren't here, you can go back and Look at it on the website um, or on podcast if you are inclined to such things. But Paul lays out in Romans 12, 1 through 8, that we are called as Christians to live as living sacrifices, meaning that when you become a Christian, when you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, for God's sake, your life should look different. A living sacrifice, Paul explains it, and I laid that out for you last week. Well, this morning we're going to take that and just keep going in Romans 12. We're just going to keep reading along in verses 9 through 21. And we're going to dial in on the question, and there's a lot in here, but you know, we'd be here for weeks to go through the whole thing, but how do we as Christians respond to evil? And I don't mean just evil, societal and cultural evil. I mean evil even that's portrayed against you and me personally. So two things that we're going to dial on. Just two points. The charge to be different and overcome. What does it mean to overcome evil with good. So two things. How do Christians deal with evil? A, we are called, charged, required to be different, to stand out. And then secondly, Paul says, look, overcome evil with good. So first thing is, let me just ask you a, sort of a rhetorical question, but maybe it's a real one for you and for a lot of people, particularly if you're, not, if you're new to Christianity or sort of putting your toe in the water or watching us online. How do most Christians respond To evil, It might sound like a strange question, because the first thing you have to recognize, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on this this morning, is A, that evil is a thing, right? Evil is actually the absence of good, that's Thomas Aquinas, but the idea is that evil is a real thing, firstly, and then secondly, for a lot of Christians, we just don't fight back, man. We just take it. Most Christians are like that scene in Animal House, right? When that guy's the pledge, and the the pledge master, the guy's bent over, and he hits him on the backside with a paddle. You've seen this? And the guy says, thank you, sir, I have another, right? You've seen that, right? Paul loved Animal House, by the way, just saying. I'm told by reliable sources, But, but a lot of Christians... and and certainly non-Christians, look at our response to evil as just sort of being a bunch of suckers, right? Just sort of putting up with it. Thank you, sir, may I have another. Or, I'll prove it to you, watch The Simpsons someday, and look at the character, the Christian, the evangelical Christian in The Simpsons, his name is Ned Flanders. And the worst thing that Ned Flanders ever says is, oh, fiddly dee. Right? Thank you, sir, may I have another. Man, that is not Biblical, and that is not what Christians, how Christians respond to evil. Before we jump in, I want to just back up a little bit and explain to you sort of the overarching point here. Then, if we're not just called to take it as a doormat, then what do we do? Paul says in verse one from last week, he says, "Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind." Listen to that again. He says, "Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed." Be different by the renewal of your mind. That word for when he says, do not be, trans, um, do not be conformed to this world, he doesn't mean the earth is like a globe. He means the culture, the people that you're around, the, the things that you do. Paul says, man, be different. Do not be conformed to that. And then he says also, you need to be transformed. You need to stand out. People need to know that you're a Christian. I told you the story when I was a younger man on Ash Wednesday. I I had ashes on my forehead, and one of my coworkers at Siemens, where I worked, said, oh, Rodriguez, I didn't know you were a Christian. And I thought, oh, man, that's not good. Friends, we're called to be transformed, not conformed. And if you're conformed and not transformed, if people don't know that you're a Christian, that's not good. And then verse 9, he kicks off. He says, okay, be transformed. And then listen to what he says here. If you want to look at it or just listen to me. He says, let love, he goes, how do you live as a living sacrifice? How are you transformed? He says, listen, let your love be genuine. Listen to this. This is going to surprise you. Abhor what is evil and hold fast, cling to what is good. Listen to that again. Let your love be genuine. Abhor evil, cling to what is good. Just a few Greek words here. That word love is the word agape. And for Christians, love is a verb, right? It is not an emotion. It is not unconditional positive regard. You know, Piaget's famous thing. No, man. For the Christian in Scripture, love is a verb. Love means you put the needs of somebody else ahead of your own. Paul says, let your love be genuine. That word for genuine is the Greek word inipakritas. And it means to be real or authentic. So for your love to be real and authentic, Paul says... Listen to this. Let your love be real. Let your let your actions be authentic and, and legitimate. How? Hate evil. I'm not gonna talk about that. Hate what is evil and cling. The word grasp, hang on to. You know, like when I was a kid, you'd ride a skateboard and hang on to somebody's bumper on their car and they'd pull you down the street. Paul says, hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Wait, 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 you saying Jesus says, hate evil? Hate? Really? Gentle Jesus? Meek and mild? He's like, Jesus would never say such a thing. Jesus is kind. Well, he is kind, and he's compassionate, but he's also strong. And he also, and I'll show you one example, there's lots, he, Jesus, hates evil and clings to what is good. Let me give you an example. All four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, describe a scene in the temple where Jesus enters the temple and he confronts the money changers. You know the story, right? People are in the temple selling animals for sacrifice in the temple. And they're extorting people. They are charging obscene amounts of money. Kind of like the concrete industry in the 70s in New York City. Run by the mob, right? These guys are mobsters. They are selling money at extremely infl- or animals at extremely inflated prices. Jesus walks into the temple, sees his people being victimized. Sees the profiteering. And what does he do? What does Jesus do. He fashions a whip and he swings this whip around. He knocks the tables over. He turns the tables over. He flips it. Money flying everywhere. And he says, you, y'all, second person plural, you all have turned my father's house into a den of thieves. He's outraged. He's angry. You know why? Because Jesus Christ hates evil. Even today, Here's another example. I, love, I was going to preach on this. I decided not to. Maybe next, next year. Peter. St. Peter. I love Peter. He's the, he's the speak first, think later kind of guy that we all know. Anybody know someone like that? I do. And Jesus tells Peter and the, crowd, the 12, hey, gentlemen, boys, I'm going to Jerusalem, and they're going to kill me. And of course, they all expect he's going to go to Jerusalem to be made the king. But he says, no, 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 we're going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to be crucified and on a third day be raised. And Peter, Peter corrects Jesus. He rebukes him. It's a strong word. Jesus, forbid that you should do that. (laughs) Jesus, I know better than you is what the implication is. And what does Jesus says to Peter? Peter, oh, Peter, you silly man. No, he says, you get behind me, Satan, the adversary. Know why? Do you know why Jesus says that to Peter? Because Jesus abhors, hates evil, and he clings to what is good. Look, Paul says, look, if this is a surprise to you and it sounds, I don't know, strange, just Take what I'm saying, because Paul says it. For your love to be real, to be authentic, to be genuine, you must hate evil, abhor evil, and cling to what is good. So here's a question for you today: Do you hate evil? I don't say hate people. Two different things. You know the old "hate the sinner, not the sin." I'm sorry, hate the hate hate the sin, not the sinner. Gotta get that one straight. (laughs) Do you hate evil? And cling, hold on to what's good. And I'm always amazed when I meet parents whose kids go, whose kids go like wild. Anybody know? Anyway, that's not a whole thing. But if you don't have, if you don't put boundaries on your kids, if you don't raise them in the way they should know, if you don't, if you don't show them how to cling to what is good and hate what is evil, how do you expect them to know, man? So point one is, you and I are charged, commanded, called, instructed to be different from the world that is around us, transformed, not conformed, and then we are called to hate evil and cling to what is good. And here's an interesting thing. Paul says, and Jesus tells this to us too, love your enemies, pray, pray for those who persecute you. Today, Paul says, bless and do not curse. More about that in a second. And For a lot of people, that sounds like weakness, but it's not. I'm going to show you. For a lot of people, that sounds like an acquiescence to be a doormat. It's not true. As a Christian, it means that when you put up with mistreatment, because God even says it right there, vengeance is mine, God says, not yours, not mine. Rodriguez, the Lord's. He says, look, you don't have to solve this problem. You have to hate what is evil and cling to what is good, but guess what? I'm God. I can take care of this, right? Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. But as Christians, we are not to put up with treatment, mistreatment, just because we're doormats, because it's not what Jesus did. He hated evil and clang, clinged to what was good. You know, we are, um, another interesting 2020 thing, we are in a political season this year. Anybody know that at elections right around the corner? Yeah, Okay. Well, I've I watched pieces of both the Democratic and Republican National Convention. You know I don't do politics in the pulpit, but sometimes there's just things in there that you have to just speak to, not the politics of it, but the character of a person involved. I'll give you an example. I have to tell you, I watched the Democratic Convention, whatever it was, a week and a half ago, and I watched bits and pieces of the RNC. I fell asleep part of it too, I'll be honest. I mean, not that it was boring, just I was tired. And the one thing which stuck out to me was that one story of that kid named Nicholas Sandman. You know who he is? Okay. He is a junior at Covington Catholic High School in um, Kentucky, I think. And he, uh, he was at a pro-life rally in Washington, D.C. at the foot of the Lincoln Memorial. And this kid his 16-year-old buddies are standing around, a bunch of punk kids, right, like I was one day. Uh, and maybe some people would say still am. But... Uh, He's standing there, and, and this man by the name of um, Nathan Phillips, who was a Native American um, protester, agitant, agitator, he confronts, you've seen it, he stands in front of this kid, and he's, I mean, he's threatening this child, this minor, by beating a drum in his face. You've seen that, right? Bang, bang, bang. Now, I'm not going to get into all that stuff. I will say it was interesting that I found out later that, of course, Sandeman sued the media for libel, and he, uh, they were, he was awarded an undisclosed amount. <laughs> that famous number, whatever that is. But the thing I want to draw to your attention is not the politics of it, but this, Sandeman was a, is a Christian. And I saw an interview of him, whatever it was, sometime this week on TV. And the interviewer said to him, you know, Nicholas, when you were there and you were, this person is clearly violating your personal space and beating a drum in your face, she said, how did you, how did you maintain your composure? Here's what I want you to hear. And he said, you know, He said, I remember what my my parents told me. I remembered don't overreact. Stay calm if someone threatens you. Stand fast, but don't retaliate. And it occurred to me what he just did was paraphrase verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you from today, live peaceably with all people. That's how he did it, you see. He made a choice. To stand firm, but not to retaliate. He made a choice not to be bullied, but also not to bully, you see. You see what's going on here? Sandeman chose, and this is what I want you to see, though not the politics part of it, but he's a Christian, and he lived the way Christians are supposed to live. He lived differently. He lived not according to this standards of this world, antagonism and hate and beating on this guy. No, man, he lived, he lived differently. It's not easy, it's not easy, but it's our call. And that's the first point, that we are called to live differently. And then secondly, okay, our biggest, I got you, we're supposed to stand out, not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Then the second point is, then how do we then overcome evil with good? Paul says, he goes on further, read it again now that you know the framework. Paul says, do not overcome evil with evil, but listen to this, overcome evil with, with good. And then he lays out some applications. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. In other words, if someone is talking smack about you, ruining your reputation, dragging your name to the mud, confronting you in a public place, threatening you, Paul says, do not retaliate. Vengeance is the Lord's, not yours. Because see, by avoiding revenge, by avoiding tearing somebody down, Paul says, that is how you overcome. Listen to what he says. It's a really cool word. He says, do not, he says, do not overcome evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. That Greek word for evil is, is the Greek word nikeo, Nike. It means war. This is not just fluff. This is strong. The way you fight evil is by deploying good. When you are evil, when you confront evil with good, Paul says, you are outflanking it. You are destroying it. You're defeating it. Why? By taking away its power. Let me give you an example. Anybody here ever ship a package from Vero Beach through FedEx? <laughs> Let me give you a hint. Don't do that. <laughs> At least if you're going to do that, go to the place on the beach. I think the place on the beach does it. I didn't go there. I went down to 8th Street You know, on, uh, down here. There's a, there's a FedEx place there, right? And It's very small, and it's manned by exactly one person and you have exactly two people in the little uh waiting area there at one point so when you go there because of this COVID stuff you have to go there and you have to wait in line and so I was there to ship uh, a guitar actually and I'm standing in line waiting and there's some dude in there for I'm not exaggerating I'm not exaggerating 25 minutes carrying on Yelling. You can hear him through the door. The door is shut because of the virus. So we're out there, me and a whole, whole queue of people out there sweating and getting frustrated over and over. It. And we're waiting for this guy like, come on, dude, just wrap it up. Let's go home. There are other people waiting for you. And the guy walked out finally, 25 minutes later. He walks out. I will never forget this. He walks out and he goes, Boy, it's like a line at Newark Airport out here. Just saying. And then and the guy said, well, we've been, and then the guy, the first guy in line says, well, we've been waiting here for 25 minutes. And I'm not going to say exactly what the man said in response, but it wasn't very kind. But the guy, the, the guy in line was waiting, you know, Mr. Newark Airport came out, this is ridiculous out here. And then he dropped a very unkind word, and I thought, oh boy, this is going to be bad because everyone's tempers are really high, and it's really hot, you know how it is. And the guy in the front, the guy in front of me said to the man, I'll never forget this, says, you know, I hope you have a nice day. And everything just went... Now, I hope I would have done the same thing. But do you see what the guy did? The man in front of me, and I was actually going to thank him for that, but I didn't get a chance to. The man in front of me, he overcame evil with good. So here's the question. Who won? Did evil win in that context? No good did. This is Paul's point, don't you see? That you and I are called to confront evil, not with evil, because that does nothing but produce escalation. Turn the TV on and watch the rioters, the uh, the Antifa versus the whatever people. What? Is there anything good come from that? And the answer is no. It never ends well. Never. But to confront evil with, this is going to sound funny, but stay with me, to confront evil with aggressive, meaning overt, love it emasculates evil it removes its power friends maybe i should preach on this someday the nature of evil but i will say this briefly i'm going to wrap up evil evil is a evil is a parasite evil is a it is the absence of good evil is a parasite it destroys the host and it destroys those around it's a parasite and it has no power of its own evil does not But to overcome evil means to recognize that the way you overcame it is not with force, but with good. So where in your life do you need to confront evil with good? Where in your family or your friends or your colleagues at work or your co-workers or whatever? Where do you need to uh, name it and claim it, right? Where do you, you, need to confront evil with good? Praying for your enemies, speaking well of others, These are not behaviors of a doormat, oh no. (laughs) These are not behaviors of those who are defeated, you see. Those are behaviors of people who have claimed victory in Jesus Christ and who fight evil, you see, with good. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for your word which challenges us, which help us to flee from evil and to cling to what is good. Help us to be kind, loving, well-spoken. Help us to be, as the Orthodox say, little Christs out in the world, light in the darkness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook.